The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Mountain View, California. Let's go ahead and look to God's Word together. What I want to do today is give a devotion after I do a short slideshow recapping the opportunity I had to go to St. Petersburg, Russia on our short-term missions trip. For those of you that are visiting uh, or may not be aware, I just returned from 10 days in St. Petersburg, Russia, and it was a 10-day trip. Lots happened. Our host family there, a man of God, his name's Peter. He's probably in his late 20s. He was born in Siberia. Yes, it's cold there. Uh, born in Siberia, raised by his mother, communist slash atheist slash, yeah, basically atheist, and then heard the gospel in college and then ended up becoming a Christian towards the end of college. And then uh, got some involved in a, a church. This church had six people in it. He was in this church with six people for like three years where he learned the Bible. Church with six people. They're not worried about numbers over there, by the way. Um, and then uh, just had a hunger for God and the Word of God and got a little bit of training. And then he uh, joined a ministry there. And then they have annual training at a conference there in Russia as the missionaries are few and far between in terms of biblical missionaries, not huge, massive, the largest country on planet Earth, basically in terms of geography, crossing 12 time zones. It's unbelievable how big that land is. Uh, his name is Peter, and he providentially went to this conference, and there was a cute girl there of all these hundreds of people uh, that was about his age, and uh, he, got, he introduced himself to her, and it turns out that she was English-speaking because she was born and raised in Oklahoma. And she went to... Uh, college at Oklahoma University and then just had a heart for missions and went on a short-term missions trip to Russia and fell in love with it and decided, I want to spend the rest of my life in Russia as a missionary. So she's going to this annual conference and God brought Peter and Angela together and they ended up getting married and so that now they are Rus uh, Russian missionaries and they moved to St. Petersburg, which is one of the larger cities in Russia, and so they give their life full-time to missions there. And the emphasis in his ministry is evangelistic outreach to college and post-college or young adults. And so God had laid it on his heart and he was praying. Uh, and he does a lot of stuff with sports ministry, not just basketball, but a lot of other things. And uh, from his point of view, he says that uh, sports are universal. And young people like sports. They like basketball and soccer and football and frisbee and all that stuff. And so that was a venue he could use to actually invite these atheistic, unbelieving, whatever they were, evolutionists and come and gather and play some sports and tolerate some spiritual religious message. And so that was his plan. And through Athletes in Action, an organization through Campus Crusade, uh, somehow providentially got a hold of me. Because what he was looking for, he was looking for a guy that was kind of like a pastor, but also who knows something specifically about basketball and could actually coach a clinic at a high level for college-age, post-college-age students at a three- to four-day clinic and then also incorporate the gospel in there somehow. And they didn't really have anybody who had that match in Athletes in Action, apparently. And so they ended up finding me providentially. It was amazing. And so it was kind of my niche. And so I was asked to come by Peter to go over to St. Petersburg. And so the, the emphasis, there were two parts to this missions trip. The big part was to do the sports clinic for four days, three hours a day. And then with each day in the middle of all the stuff I'm teaching, they're taking a water break and an hour and a half through, spend about 20 to 30 minutes giving some kind of a biblical message, culminating in the gospel for these 
uh, college, post-college students who were not believers. And so that's what we did. And so basically what I did is I took the GBF uh, basketball camp curriculum, what we do, because we start with Genesis 1 and introduce the creator and talk about how he created the first people and how the first people got messed up through sin and how God hates sin and punishes sin and how God graciously provides a solution to sin through the gospel and the good news of the person of Jesus Christ. So I was just going to condense that five-day plan into what turned out to be three days at this camp. Um, and so that was the backbone of it. That was the first component. The second component at the end of the week would be leading a men's retreat for uh, primarily uh, the Baptist church there. This was not Peter's church. It was a Baptist church. It's considered the largest Baptist church in St. Petersburg, Russia. This is St. Petersburg is a city of about 7 million people. And the largest Baptist church, they have like 150 people. Uh, or maybe a little more than that. So that's how sparse evangelical biblical Christianity is. So and I was going to lead a, a three-day retreat uh, on an island. He kept calling it the Island Project, the Island Project. It, was kind of, it began to scare me after a while. We were talking about it for four months, the Island Project. We take boats and we row for three hours and we go to this island and we have a men's retreat and, and eat sticks and all that stuff. And I'm like, wow, this is not okay. I couldn't teach the Bible there. But it was encouraged the men, most of the men, he said, if not all of them would be believers. So it was uh, evangelistic to the unbelievers at the camp and then encouraging the local church through a men's retreat. And so my theme on the men's retreat where I taught three times uh, was on being a godly man because that's what the emphasis he wanted. So a little later I'm going to do a summary uh, of what I did there for our dads and for all of our men uh, in light of Father's Day today. So let me go ahead and just, again, just a high points of this retreat. Uh, I mean, this uh, missions trip I was able to have. Oh, before I do, thank you to all of you who were praying very specifically. I got all kinds of emails and encouragement. Thank you, dear saints. God answered your prayers. Thank you for those who gave financially and made it happen. Very gracious. And then thanks to Pastor Bob who preached uh, twice uh, for me and people were blessed and people told me about it. So thank you for doing that. So um, let's go ahead. And we're not having children's church today. I thought it'd be good for the kids to be in here and just hear about what God did over in Russia and also to be a part of the Father's Day message, which includes children. So let's go ahead and look at our slides. We'll breeze through. So there's just the basic map. And as I said, Russia, huge country, covers 12 time zones. We're mostly familiar with Moscow. And then up north, uh, about a three-hour train ride is St. Petersburg, which happens to be right on the water. And it's actually on the border of Finland. And lo and behold, the men's retreat, we had to get in these boats and row for like two hours at two in the morning. And we ended up actually at an island in Finland um, or Finland territory. So it's quite the experience. Uh, so that's where we were, St. Petersburg and 14-hour flight. We'll go on to the next one. Uh, so here we are, getting in the plane, ready to fly to Amsterdam. First big stop, 11-hour uh, flight. And so I took Tim, he's my 15-year-old son, with me as junior missionary. And Tim was fantastic. He was awesome. Go ahead. Uh, thinking of that slide, when I was in a, a junior at the Master's College, it was my first year there at the Master's College almost three decades ago, and I was a new Christian. And I remember this man who was the provost of the college at the time. His name was uh, Bob Provost, who's now a full-time missionary, basically, of Slavic Gospel Ministries. He was working at the Master's College at the time. I was a brand-new believer. He would speak in chapel routinely, and I just remember him saying that if you are a Christian, before you die and go see Jesus, 
at, at least one time in your life you need a short-term missionary cross-cultural experience as a Christian to broaden your worldview as a Christian. And he challenged all of the students to desire that and to pursue that. And so years went by before I even had the opportunity to do that. And I'm not just talking cross-cultural like from here to Texas, because that's kind of a foreign country, but not really. Uh, he was talking about another country, different language, totally. Um, it will just awaken you. And so this experience did that for me. And I was even more thankful that my son Tim was able to go and be a part of this. Not just in terms of what he could experience, but what he contributed. He contributed a great deal. So we arrived, we left on um, Friday, and then we got there on a Saturday, and then we went to church on Sunday. And here is just an old building. It's over a 100 years old, if not more. And this is where they took us to church. It's got like five stories, and there's a different church on each floor. You got the charismatic church on the first floor, and you got the Baptist church on the second floor, and then you got some other independent church on the third floor, and then Calvary Chapel, St. Petersburg, was on the fourth floor. So that's where we went uh, the first Sunday we were there, Calvary Chapel. If you're familiar with it, it's the same Calvary Chapel here, and it was just like a Calvary Chapel, because I used to go to Calvary Chapel in high school. Same songs, every I recognized every song except they spoke in Russian. Um and same kind of sermon, but through the Bible expositorily from Genesis to Revelation. I mean, I just felt right at home. It was pretty cool. It was a very old, rustic building that was falling apart, but beautiful on the outside. Uh, so anyway, that was the church we went to. And there's the family. That's Peter on the left and Angela, sweetheart. And they're two cute little kids. Kostya is the boy in the orange. He's five. He's a Spurs fan now. And then uh, to the right is his daughter, Lisa, uh, Peter's daughter, and she's two years old. They are bilingual now. So that was our host family taking us to church. Next one. Uh, this was just a picture of the door of the church. Just this very old, cool, rustic, smelly kind of building. It's kind of fun. Uh, there's a picture of the Calvary Chapel of St. Petersburg as they are worshiping together. Notice the plastic chairs you can buy for $1.99 at Walmart. Go ahead. And this is not the greatest shot in the world, but at least uh, it's a picture with the family as we finish church ready for worship and about ready to begin uh, plans for the next nine days of what... Peter would have for us. And Peter kept Tim and I busy. We had little, we, he just ran us ragged. Ministry at night. The camp was at nighttime that we did, the basketball camp, from 8 p.m. to basically midnight. Um, because these are working professionals and they all work during the day. And then we just happened to be there at the time of Russia where they have white nights, meaning the sun never goes down. So we'd finish and we'd get out at midnight at the gym and it's like, it looks like it's 6 o'clock and we're ready to begin the day and it's like, no, it's 12 midnight, we better go to bed. Um, so uh, he just kept a full agenda for us the entire time, I think, getting his money's worth. And he was blessed as a result. So that's Peter and Angela. Um, this is, I think, after one day of ministry. Um, that's a missionary. That's Tim. Uh, did a day of camp, and it was exhausting. So, But we had accommodations in a, an apartment that was pretty typical there where everybody lives in apartments for the most part and they're tall and seven stories and they look terrible on the outside even if they're only seven years old and because they don't care about the outside and very small on the inside where entire families will live. Entire families could fit in the living room of my current home. So that was just a great thing for Tim to see. But blessed accommodations that we had for the first days, four days that we were there. Uh, they have Carl's Jr. in St. Petersburg. Uh, so Peter, uh, our host, is to the left. In the middle is Nick, or Kola. Uh, he was my translator. He's 26 years old. He flew in from Kiev 
Ukraine to be my translator just for this trip. I met Kola or Nick two years ago when I went to the seminary in Kiev in Ukraine where Nick works full-time for the seminary now and he is uh, totally fluent in English and in Russian, although he is Ukrainian. Um, so he's a translator and his story is absolutely amazing. Um, Nick was born and raised in Kiev, Ukraine, which formerly the Soviet Union, communistic, Christianity against the law, Bible teaching against the law, and then all that changed in 1991 when the Iron Curtain fell and then Christianity began to, as well as other false religions, began to infiltrate all these countries, including Ukraine. And so the Master's Seminary and Grace Community Church uh, sent men over there as soon as the wall came down in 1991. Three of my friends from seminary went there, moved there to Kiev, Ukraine, and have been there for 22 years, living there, started a seminary, started three churches, training uh, Ukrainian men to carry on the ministry. Um, Just a few years into being in Kiev, a good friend of mine from the seminary, he he was trying to start a church, and then he had an evangelistic sports basketball camp. And he doesn't even know anything about basketball, but he was telling me the story. So this was about... 14 years ago, and he invited all the neighborhood kids in Kiev, and they don't speak English, and it was advertised as some kind of English-speaking thing, sports camp slash learn English. And so Nick was a 14-year-old Ukrainian pagan at the time, didn't know anything about the Bible, knew nothing about Scripture, knew nothing about the Gospel, uh, was raised by his mother. His dad died uh, as a result of Chernobyl. And at age, oh, he liked sports, Nick did. So he came to the sports camp, Oh, and he was intrigued with the English language because his mom was a single parent. He was raised by the television, and they had three channels, and two of them were all English. One of them was just all cartoons in English. And so from the time he was two or three, he up until he was 14, he just watched English cartoons all the time, including The Brady Bunch and Gilligan's Island, and but especially Scooby-Doo, for some reason that stood out in his mind. I am not kidding. And so if you... Talk, so two days into this thing, my son Tim says, did you say Nick was born in Kiev and raised there? I said, yeah. He goes, wow, he doesn't have an accent. Well, that's, well, that's true and not true. If you listen, he sounds kind of like uh, Scooby-Doo a little bit. <laughs> but he, he's got this amazing, I mean, totally fluent in English, totally fluent in Ukrainian, totally fluent in Russian. And at age 14, goes to the sports camp. Here's the gospel. Here's about sports. Totally intrigued. Um, semi-quasi is interested. They don't see him for a year. They have the sports camp again. He comes back at age 15, gets saved at the camp. Uh, the Greg White, his family, he's the dean of the seminary, their European Biblical Seminary. He realizes Nick basically doesn't have a family. They adopt Nick, not formally, but take him into the home with their two sons, love on him, spend time with him. A year later, his mom gets saved, and then they start, and they've been going to the church for the last 10 plus years as a result. Uh, so at age 16, one year later, Nick starts translating for the seminary in their written syllabi material, part time. Uh, four years later, he's translating verbally for the teachers who come in uh, to teach at the seminary, the English speaking teachers including John MacArthur and, and others. Uh, then he goes to his uh, Ukrainian college and gets a college degree in linguistics. Then he goes, and then he continues to work for the seminary there in Ukraine. Uh, and then he gets a degree in theology from the Master's College by studying distance and through three consecutive summers on campus at the Master's College. 
And so now he's uh, been working at the seminary for 11 years and interprets for just the best Bible teachers in the world who go over there that are English-speaking, from John MacArthur to John Piper to James White, and on and on it goes. And so I'm at the Shepherds Conference back in March, and he was translating for 350 Russian-speaking pastors at the Shepherds Conference. Unbelievable what God did through this boy at a sports camp. Uh, so Nick is fantastic. He was a gift from God. He agreed to come do this sports camp for me to be my translator, and also he's a great basketball player, so he played as well. So let's go on to the next one. And we were at Carl's Jr. because in Kiev they don't have Carl's Jr., and that's Nick's favorite place to eat. So we went to Carl's Jr. five days in a row. It made me sick. Um, this is the gymnasium. Peter was searching high and long for a gymnasium. This is actually, he told me this is a quality good gymnasium. When I got inside, I thought, this is not a quality good gymnasium. But he said of what they have in St. Petersburg, this is a, high, a good quality gymnasium. This is actually at a university. Uh, so that's uh, something about some university. Uh, that's shot inside as we started the camp. The floor is kind of just very old and archaic and smelly and mildewy. And, but it worked. And we used it as a tool of God. So go ahead on the next one. Uh, this is one of the guys at the camp. Like I said, most of them were post-college. And that would be true of the, his name is Igor here. Igor, not a believer. Um, this is day one. He's holding uh, a basketball that the varsity basketball coach at King's Academy donated to Tim. Um, and I wanted to take a picture and show that to the coach. Um, I was told by Peter that he had supplies, basketballs and that kind of thing. But it was kind of shaky. And I got over there and he had three rubber basketballs that were like three years old and lopsided. And so we, GBF and King's Academy were able to bless uh, Peter with supplies including some great and several basketballs that he can continue on in his sports ministry for these men um, so this is Igor didn't not a believer didn't know the gospel has heard the gospel now nice guy go ahead uh, this was after the first night that's uh, me and Tim on the right and then just four guys who uh, attended the camp the one far to the left in the black the second one from the left he was actually the youngest camper he's 14 uh, another neat kid Okay, next one. Uh, and then during the days, we'd just be traveling around uh, St. Petersburg uh, and primarily on bus and on the subway. And here's uh, Peter, our first day on the town in St. Petersburg as he's walking us around. Just an amazingly historic city where uh, the city's over 300 years old and they have one of the world's most famous museums. National Geographic says they have the fourth best museum in the world. The Hermitage, they call it, and we were able to actually go see that uh, one day in St. Petersburg. Uh, and here's, this is not a typical church building, but they have a lot of these buildings. These are church buildings all over the place. Uh, these are not evangelical Bible churches. These are Russian Orthodox churches that were approved by the Soviet state-mandated religion. So looks like a church building. It is a church building, but it's not necessarily a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church building. Uh, but it is a beautiful uh, attraction where people go and watch. It's one of the most famous ones in St. Petersburg. And there's Tim in front of it. Uh, and the, again, just sightseeing down there with Peter in St. Petersburg. Had a great time. And he was, he was an amazing host. Peter, we need to pray for Peter and his wife, Angela, as they continue in the ministry there and have a heart for lost people. Next one. Uh, so this is uh, day one, day two, day three. And I just went in order. And this was day one of uh, we're after an hour and a half of working them hard. And they're sitting down. They're taking a water break. And I asked Peter before I started earlier in the day, do they know they're going to like get a Bible message at this camp? Well, yeah, I think so, maybe kind of, sort of. <laughs> Told them we got some uh, 
pastor guest from America. And so they were just intrigued that I was from America. So they were going to tolerate whatever I had to say. So there's Nick, my translator. All I did day one is, and they, they were, they were ignorant of the Bible. And I thanked them for letting me come. I told a little bit about it myself. And then I asked them a question before I actually started teaching the Bible. All I was going to do was just teach on Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That was less, I was going to spend 20 to 30 minutes just on that. And I did. But before I did, I asked, is anybody here familiar? And these are educated people. They are currently in the universities of St. Petersburg, or they've graduated from the universities. And they get a broad education at those universities. And I asked them, anybody here ever heard of the book of Genesis? Nobody had heard of the book of Genesis. I was like, wow. Okay, I'm, I'm staying and I'm just camping out on Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And then my next question was, uh, what are some theories out there about how God, cre- or, or how everything came into being? I didn't say God. What are some theories out there, maybe you believe or you've heard of how everything came into being? And they gave me about four or five. Evolution, Big Bang, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They did not give me the Genesis account. So when they were done, I said, I want to give you another view and it comes from this historic book called the Bible. God created the world and everything in it. His name is Yahweh. And every single one of you and me were created by this personal God. And then concluded in Genesis 1.31, everything was good or very good. God created the world perfectly in the very beginning. But everything isn't perfect in the world as we look around, is it? And they agreed, no, things are messed up. And I'm just, tomorrow night we're going to talk about how everything got messed up. According to the Bible, God's word right here in scripture. So I, I preach for like 25, 30 minutes. And I'm look, usually you can read your audience. I could not read the audience. And they're right in front of me. Although there were like two or three over here talking the entire time because it was obvious they did not want to hear what I had to say. And then later my translator and Peter both told me they did not, they were not interested in what you had to say. That's why even though they're 10 feet in front of you, they are talking rudely. I was like, yeah, I, I noticed. But you just push through it, ignore them, and just keep teaching. And when we were done, nothing. No response. Deadpan faces. I didn't pray. And then I just, and we started basketball camp again. And then the next day, Peter, who was there, my host, and Nick, who's very perceptive, they agreed, wow, we don't know what they thought. Nobody said anything. Nobody responded. I didn't ask him to, but the zilch. We had no way to read. Were they antagonistic? Were they receptive? Were they intrigued? Who knows? That was day one. Day two, I don't know if there's another slide, but uh, so day two, I talked about uh, how everything got messed up. And as soon as I started, sure enough, that same group over here, two or three guys, and these were post-college guys, probably 26, 27, they just talking again over me. But I just kept going. And I noticed about eight minutes into my talk, Oh, whoa, they're paying attention. And then everybody else was, they were literally on the edge of their seat watching me focused, listening and engaged. All I was doing was going through Genesis 2 quickly and camping out in Genesis chapter 3. God is the creator. He made every single one of us. Everything was perfect in the beginning and then everything got messed up through disobedience, which we call sin. And all I did was go through a quick exposition of Genesis 2 and 3. By the way, most apologetic systems in Christianity would say, what I did, I'm not supposed to be able to do. I can't go into and talk to atheists 
agnostics, communists, Marxists, evolutionists who have no background in Bible, Bible, theology, religion, and just start talking and teaching the Bible without any prerequisites. So I violated all the norms. I was just reading the Bible and explaining Genesis 2 and 3. And I went on for like 40 minutes, and I was like, "Uh uh-oh, I have exceeded my time. And then I stopped, and I said, and tomorrow night, this world is messed up, and tomorrow night we're going to see how the loving God and creator of the universe has provided a solution for our messed up world and every single one of us. And then when I was done, they stood up and started clapping. It's amazing. Without exception, every single one. Next slide. Okay, so uh, the next day as we gathered and evaluated and reviewed, um, was asking Peter, <laughs> before I even said that, Peter picks us up, we get in his car and he says, boy, I think last night went really well. Because <laughs> the night before I said, I don't know how it went. I think last night went really well. I said, Peter, I sense that. I don't speak Russian, but I, I understand <laughs> I understand standing ovations. Who are they giving a standing ovation to? Not to you. I was like, oh, okay, that's good to know. To truth. That's what he said. To truth. Truth they had never heard before, at least in that way. So that was amazing. And then Peter and Nick said, why did you stop? You should have kept going. Well, I went on for 40 minutes. You should have kept going. They wanted to hear more. I was like, oh, I thought that's what tonight was for. Okay. That was good to know. Um, so that was day two. Then day three, I don't have any more pictures of the teaching, but in day three, I did. I, I picked up and on this uh, thing called sin. By the way, they all understood that concept. Evil, badness, sin, wickedness, God's wrath, God who hates sin. They understood all this. I didn't need to explain it. They could relate. It resonated with their conscience. So I went from the bad news to the good news and then went right into the gospel of Jesus Christ, very simply, who he was as the God-man who came down from heaven and he created the world and he loved his creation even though it was sinful and wicked and deserved death and took on a human body and lived a perfect life and willingly went to this cross and got executed with these nails in his hands and literally got punished by God the Father who poured out his full fury of wrath on Jesus as my substitute and as your substitute if you would believe in him as your substitute and culminated with the gospel and some of them were overwhelmed uh, with that. So this was uh, the next day. We One of the days we were able to go to this world-famous museum, the Hermitage, and that's where we are in front of it. Go ahead and, and go to the next one. Uh, in there, we got to go to the Rembrandt room. He's a famous painter, by the way. Uh, so we got several pictures in front of Rembrandt's famous original pictures, and this is one of a painting by Rembrandt of Abraham about to kill his son Isaac. So that's me killing Timmy. <laughs> And that's uh, Rembrandt's picture of Jesus coming off of the cross. Next one. And there's just the beautiful architecture inside this amazing museum that actually is composed of six buildings. And they say there are over three million artifacts in the Hermitage Museum. And if you wanted to look at every single one for 30 seconds or less, it would take you 11 years, uh, 24 hours a day. So we didn't have time. <laughs> this is not everybody in the camp, but this is most of the campers. This is our last day at the end. Um, and the uh, one in the very front, uh, kneeling down, he's got an Indiana Pacers shirt. He's 
25. His name is Paul or Pasha. He's a mechanical engineer at an airline place, and he was convicted by the messages. But he'd never heard anything like it. And so he was just hounding me the entire time after the last night there. He wanted to ride home in our car and fly home on the airplane with me and live in my son's bedroom. But anyway, I said, Paul, you can't do that, Pasha. i got to go. But, but we talked for over an hour. He's asking about this Trinity thing and how can God be three in one and who's Jesus did what and really. And uh, so it was, it was awesome. Be able to follow up with God. Peter has contact with every one of these guys and he's going to have an ongoing ministry in terms of follow up with them. By the way, the qual- there are some really good basketball players too. Uh, I was pretty amazing. So there's Pasha, Paul, the guy who just kept hounding me uh, with these Bible and religious questions and just found it to be incredibly intriguing. And uh, he was even convicted. Um, by it. So, we're, so I'm a Facebook friend now. I don't do Facebook. I do it once a year. So I'm going to do it twice a year now that Paul is my Facebook friend. And uh, then this was the only female camper. She's post-college as well, and she's six foot, and she's actually a really good basketball player. Um, and she wanted a picture with us. And that was the apartment we were staying in. This was Peter's mom's apartment that me, Nick, and Tim spent uh, together. We were together for 10 days, 24-7, and got along fantastically. And you can't really see me. There's not the greatest picture, but this was the uh, the big church where I did... I didn't do the retreat at this church, but it was hosted by this church at the island, and we left from here. Uh, what they do, this is the largest Baptist church in St. Petersburg. They rent this Russian Orthodox facility that is very old, fallen apart, but that's where they have church, and this is the one that Bob Provost was telling me about, that he knows the pastor and has a ministry with them, and so this is the inside. It's really cool on the inside. Go ahead and next one. Uh, rummaging through the pastor's study, I found a John MacArthur commentary on First Timothy in Russian. I thought that was kind of cool, so I'm just going to send this to Johnny Mac. Um, so that was quite a blessing. By the way, uh, with that being translated, uh, Bob Provost, who works for Slavic Gospels uh, Ministry, which is ministry to Russian, an evangelistic ministry to Russian-speaking peoples, um, has invited me to come to a Russian seminary at the end of January to teach apologetics there. And so currently he's having the apologetics book translated into Russian. And that translation process has already started. And, so, and then there's going to be a pastor's conference at this apologetics conference where I also teach the seminary and they want to make the Russian version of apologetics available to all these pastors that come. So it's very exciting. And while I was there, I found out the translation process already began on the book and it was started none other than my good friend Nick. He said, I started translating your book. I said, no way. He didn't even tell me. So uh, him and a committee of others are going to be doing it. So pretty amazing. So that'll come up in, uh, and the place is called Novosibirsk, Novosibirsk. Uh, that's a city way down south and right in the middle of Russia where there are very few biblical seminaries there. You can count on less than one hand and that's where I'll be at rather timely in terms of the weather. January in Russia, right on. That's if I actually make it there on an airplane. And this was the beginning of the island project. So we'd go out on this island and we'd all row boats and spend three days there and eat sticks and uh, eat, drink lake water and I would teach the Bible to these men, and, and we actually had a good time. So uh, this was literally 2 in the morning. We're still rowing the boat at 2 in the morning, and the sun was almost going down, took a shot there. And there's a couple of camp shots uh, with the men while we were there. And there's Tim uh, rowing away, and he's got a mosquito net. You need it because there was 50 zillion mosquitoes. They came to the men's retreat as well. Uh, and then there's Peter, that's a live action shot. He caught a fish in the lake and it's an edible fish and he was proud. Notice this shirt, Oklahoma University. Bring it on, baby. He's Russian. 
and then here we are, we're leaving, uh, getting ready to come back to uh, Mos- uh, from Moscow Airport, and Timmy's thinking about fresh California fruit. Haven't seen anything in 11 days. <laughs> Sounds good. And Acts 1.8, uh, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And this powerful verse in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, the gospel, the content of the gospel about Jesus Christ and what he's done for sinners, which I emphasized the last day. For it is the power of God for salvation, isn't it? For everyone who believes. So we continue to pray for Paul or Pasha and all those others who heard the gospel some for the first time that God would save their soul. So anyway, that's just kind of an overview of our trip. Thank you for your prayers and support. And it was just an amazing experience. And with that, let's go ahead and I'm going to do a mini devotional from about a 30-minute plus talk. I gave the first night to the men at the men's retreat on characteristics and attributes of a godly man. And I won't get through all 16 points. I might even get through one. Uh, But that's okay. Uh, We can own this as men especially and see how we can apply these truths from Scripture about what it means to be a godly man in our life starting today. And these are just really good reminders. Most of this truth is, is basic and fundamental, but we need to hear it continually all the time. So these are characteristics and attributes of a godly man. If you want to take notes on the back, you're welcome to do that. And like I said, we'll just see how far we get uh, before it's time to go. My theme verse, everybody turn to 1 Corinthians 16. So the theme verse for the retreat was 1 Corinthians 16, verse 3. And then from there, just thematically, picked out different characteristics and attributes from all of Scripture of what what a godly man looks like. And so the command here in 1 Corinthians 16.3, Paul, as he does end all of his epistles, he usually gives just a flurry of imperatives and commands. Now that I've told you who you are in Christ, now that I've laid the theological foundation, live like a Christian. Do this, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And so that's what's happening here in 1 Corinthians 16. So some of these commands are these. Uh, verse 13, be on the alert, be awake. Don't be um, a somber, uh, clueless Christian. So this is a command. Be an alert, discerning Christian. Then another command, stand firm in the faith. And then here was the main command that I used as the theme for our men's retreat. Act like men. This command is specifically geared for the men, women. Act like men. Men. The Apostle Paul is talking to a Christian congregation. He is talking to professing Christian men. Paul is talking to a church that he started, that he planted, that he discipled, where he served for over a year and a half. Paul knew these people. He knew this church. He's interacted with this church repeatedly and many times. He's speaking to a Christian congregation. And he has to say, hey, you men in the church of Corinth, act like men. That's amazing because you know what that means? Some of them weren't acting like men. And he's talking about in terms of their lifestyle and their ongoing personal behaviors on a regular basis. They're professing Christians or they really are Christians, and yet in terms of their habits, they aren't acting like men. Every church needs to hear this reminder. We all do as professing Christian men. I need to be smacked upside by the head by the Holy Spirit on a regular basis. McManus, act like a man. Well, the follow-up or the corollary to that it really is a question. What does it mean to be a man? 
I mean, you've got the imperative or the command here, act like men. But if you went out into the world today in America and you said, okay, what does it mean to act like a man? You'd get a quite a jumbled, confused, messed up, distorted answer. And it would be totally inconsistent with itself. All the way from, you know, 25, 35, 50 years ago, a man was John Wayne and just flex your muscle and Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's, that's a man. Rough, tough guy beat somebody up. That's what the world says. But then that's actually kind of changed over the last two decades. I don't know if you've noticed. How has it changed? It's gone from one extreme end of the spectrum to the absolute total other extreme end of the spectrum in terms of our culture and what they say defines a man. Today, to be a man means you need to get in touch with your feminine side, guys. And I'd say, no, you don't. This verse says you need to get in touch with your masculine side. That is the exact opposite and antithesis of what the world tells men they need to be doing. Act like a man, not like a woman. That's what this means. And before we can implement and obey the command, it needs to be informed by Scripture and the content of Scripture. What is a man? Well, what it means is act like a godly man. Act like a biblical man. Act like the Apostle Paul. Act like Jesus the incarnate man. That's what it means. So to define that portrait, that's where I came up with the 12, 15 characteristics out of Scripture that tell us what it means to be a godly man. Because just in the last week on a couple of commercials, I saw you could be confused as an American if I just went around to random people saying, act like a man. You know the Bible says, act like a man, act like a man, act like a man. And then one of the commercials, there's Erica, and she's she's tough, and she's got karate gloves on, and she's beating up a, a bag, and she's punching it and kicking it, and she she's a man. But she her she's uh, a female. And what the commercial is communicating, that women can do and should do everything that a man can do. Really, that there's no difference. That's the message of the world. And then at the same time, another commercial comes on where there's two guys, Frank and Elwood, I don't know what their names are, and they're very soft-spoken, and they're, sit- they're literally sitting there sipping tea together, talking in lisps. And again, the culture, again, communicating to us the very antithesis of what God says a man is. And that's Satan's ploy always to distort the most basic things in terms of human identity. And so following characteristics, or at least the first one or two we'll get to, are biblical characteristics of what it means to be like a man. And the first one uh, that I want to highlight is going to be in Genesis chapter 2 and 3. And you can go ahead and flip to Genesis chapter 2. Because the first two characteristics of what it means to be a man come out of Genesis chapter 2 when God created Adam and Eve in the beginning. Adam was a real person. Newsflash, Adam was a real person. Don't anybody tell you otherwise. Eve was a real woman. Every single human being came from those two people. The Genesis story is historical and accurate when it talks about who Adam and Eve were and where we came from. Nothing makes sense. Sin doesn't make sense. Salvation doesn't make sense if you reject a literal Adam and Eve. And so when God created the first man, he lays out for us what it means to be a man by God's ideal design. And so point number one is the godly man, and then the rest of you, you fill in the blank. The godly man takes initiative. Another way you could say it is the, a godly man is a leader. Well, what does a leader do? Well, he takes initiative, and we said, see that in the very beginning, Genesis chapter 2. 
In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says, uh, The Lord God, this is on day 6, the Lord God formed man. He took dirt and he made literally the first human being and God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living soul and his name was Adam and he was a real human being. And at that point, he was sinless and God had intentions for him and God intended him to be the leader and the initiator in his relationship where he was going to, about to create his wife, Eve. And 1 Corinthians 11 says that the man or the husband is the leader of the home because he was made first, chronologically. He's the head, he is the leader, because God made Adam first. He made Eve second, she is the follower, she is the complement, she's the follow the lead of her husband. So a real man, a godly man, a leading man is an initiator. A godly man takes the initiative. Go to the end of Genesis chapter 2. Starting at verse 22, God creates Eve from Adam. That really happened. It was a miracle. God brought them together, Adam and Eve. He performed the first wedding. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought Eve, the woman, to the man. And Adam looked at his new bride and said, Now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. This was on their wedding day. They got married. God blessed it. Verse 24, for this cause, get this, here's the initiative. For this cause, because of what has just happened, because of the first wedding that God has performed, this shall become the pattern of all of world history. One man, one woman, before God, one flesh, forever, permanently, at least during this lifetime. And notice the initiative of the man in verse 24. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and his mother. It doesn't say the woman shall leave her father and her mother. The point of emphasis is on the initiative of the man as the leader in the home and the leader in the family and the leader in every area of his life. A godly man takes the initiative and God holds him accountable accordingly. For this cause, the man shall leave his father and mother and do what? Pursue his wife. That's what Proverbs 18 says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Again, they're even after the fall. The initiative is on the man. The man is finding the wife. The man isn't sitting around twiddling his thumbs, watching video games, waiting for the right girl to call him. It doesn't work that way. The man of God is pursuing. He is taking action. He is proactive. He is deliberate. He is prayerful. He's systematic. He's an initiator. He is a leader. That is God's design. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. So the godly man takes initiative. So there it is in verse 24. And then there's sin, and that messes everything up, including male-female relationships. And God curses uh, the snake and the serpent and uh, Satan and the man and the woman and the earth and their marriage and social relationships are under the curse of God because of sin. And there are consequences. And so today, men and women have a hard time getting along when they're dating and when they get married and when they live together. Why is that? Why is there a marital conflict? It is a result of the curse from sin in Genesis chapter 3, 14 through 17. You can read about the details there. But one thing I wanted to uh, highlight regarding this, initi- this God-ordained initiative that husbands or men are supposed to take as the leaders of their home uh, was tweaked with the curse. And that's verse 16 of Genesis 3 where it says, where God was talking to the woman, he was punishing the woman, and he says, part of your consequences will be from this point on, I'm going to greatly multiply your pain in childbirth, and that's why uh, having babies is so painful. This is because of sin. In your pain you shall bring forth children. Here's the second part of the curse on the woman. Your desire shall be for your husband. That is an illegitimate desire. It's not a sexual desire. It's the desire to control. From now on, you're going to have an illegitimate 
desire to control your husband, to usurp his authority. That is not good. But it's just going to be natural. It's going to be a natural inclination. And yet your husband shall rule over you. God's plan hasn't changed. The husband still needs to be the leader, even though as a result of the curse, men are going to tend to be passive and women are going to tend to be overly aggressive, usurping leadership roles in the marriage relationship. By the way, that is the number one problem in Christian counseling with married couples. Messed up reversal of roles. Wives just continue to say, after all these years, my husband isn't being the spiritual leader he needs to be. He's not taking the initiative that he needs to. Yeah, I believe you. I got the same problem. It's the curse. That's not an excuse, but at least I know why we got that problem. And then the vice versa is the number one complaint of guys about their wives. She's a monster. <laughs> so, the godly man takes initiative. I don't have time to do the other 13 points. So, we'll do those at another time. Maybe actually before... The summer is up because summer is a great time to just kind of break away from a book and, and do things that I think our church needs to hear. And so I've been actually praying. I'm not even settled on what we're going to be preaching on the next couple of months because trying to tune in with God. God, where's our congregation at? Where are our people at? What do we need to hear? Please speak to us and pray along with me. And we trust that God's going to, by His Spirit, lead us to that end. Thank you so much for listening. And let me go ahead and commit our time to the Lord in prayer that He would bless it. Father, thank You for our time together to be with the saints to really to celebrate what You did, how You use fallen, weak, broken people to accomplish Your will through evangelism, missions, ministry in the local church. God, that is gracious. Thank You for using us that way. Thank you for blessing the trip to Russia. Thank you for Nick, Peter, Angela, and God, I pray that some who heard would be saved and you'd be working on their hearts even now. God, thank you for the reminder from Scripture of what it means to be a godly man. We fall so short. We are so inadequate in and of ourselves. Empower us with the truth of your word, the power of your spirit, and the accountability of loved ones in our lives that we might more and more live in a way that pleases you as godly men so we can bless family and friends and everyone else around us. We commit it to you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Dr. McManus, other messages, or resources, please visit gbfsv.org or call us at 650 630 0009.